This is the Wide Awake Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirsten Kazarian. As a child psychologist, I believe the most important part of the work I do is supporting parents by helping them deeply attune to their child and find their own balance of connection, nourishment, and inspiration. To do this, I lean on the practice of mindfulness. Join me in a conversation about raising our kids, raising our consciousness, and trying to stay awake. Welcome to the 30th episode of our podcast. Today, we're focusing on how to help our child start responding to stressful situations instead of reacting to them. In other words, stop melting down. In this episode, I'm reframing the meltdown. As parents, we absolutely dread these, right? Sometimes we know what requests or limits will trigger a meltdown, and depending on our frustration or exhaustion levels, we may choose to ignore it, not even make the request, just totally deal with it later. Or if we're really at our wit's end, we have our own grown-up tantrum in response. Sometimes the meltdowns catch us completely off guard too. What? I just bought you this, or let you pick this out, or gave you this extra privilege, let your friend come over, and now you're melting down? Not cool. Meltdowns are frustrating, hard to watch, definitely hard to stay present with, and something we cannot wait for our child to grow out of. So here's the reframe. A meltdown is a reaction to something a child or teen does not know how to cope with. I may sound like Captain Obvious here, but let's grab our most mindful parenting cap we have and just sit with that. A meltdown is an obnoxious, stressful, chaotic reaction from our child and what they're screaming, but not saying that's the problem, is help. I need help. I don't know what to do. So today we're going to go over six clear steps so you can help in these tough moments. And before you rush to put on your parent's superhero problem solver cape, my child, sorry, I missed the signal. You needed help. Sorry, I was so upset with your meltdown. Mom or dad is coming to the rescue. Pause. Breathe. Problem solving does not come into play until step five. And here's why. The first four steps are crucial to helping your child learn to manage the overwhelm of emotions that come when they don't know what to do. If we skip that and go straight to problem solving, they miss this super important lesson in managing their own emotions and responses. Their brain won't get the practice it needs to find a calm or neutral space to begin problem solving on their own. And that's a really important skill. I might put that in like the top three most important skills for human people, as my child would say. Because here's the thing, we all have meltdowns and they have negative consequences at any age. We may grow out of flinging ourselves onto the floor or anger crying and shrieking, but we still might have the desire to do so because we feel lost and panicked. We don't make the best decisions in these moments. If you think back to things you regret to doing or saying, these actions very likely had their root in an emotional state like this, an emotional state that pushed us to react 
instead of wait and respond to something terrible, unjust, distressing, or overstimulating. Negative consequences tend to follow these reactions, timeouts, suspensions, peer rejection, being dumped, fired, harmful health habits, generally not getting our needs met and making life really difficult for ourselves. Okay, so what can you do as a parent to help get your child in the habit of responding to things that distress them in the moment instead of reacting? Our first step is acceptance. This is a key mindfulness skill we incorporate in almost every episode. Here's what it looks like for this intervention. Don't dismiss what they're melting down about. Think about the people you've wasted time melting down over when they were rude, critical, or rejecting, and then try to look your kid in the eye and tell them their sister saying their name funny or taking the pink crayon is a ridiculous thing to throw a fit about. I mean, objectively, yes, it is a ridiculous thing to throw a fit about, but so was your stuff. Life can be the worst, and your best friends didn't minimize your feelings. If they did, you wouldn't be best friends. Observe what's happening without judgment. Muster all your compassion and try to honor their feelings about said worst thing ever. You don't have to agree this is the worst thing in the world because guess what? Our friends didn't agree with us either, but they just listened and waited for us to come to our senses. Our second step is to validate. You helped them to identify what it is that made them want to melt down. Now help them observe their feelings about this disaster. We want to get as specific as possible. We know they feel bad, but what kind of bad? Are they worried, angry, jealous, scared? It can be a dance to decide if your child will accept some help from you in labeling their emotions. Wow, you look really mad right now. You can give it a try and then just go back to listening if this upsets them more. A feelings chart is great to have handy because then they can point They don't even have to verbalize or recall from memory a variety of emotions. We want them to get there eventually, but these are great steps for scaffolding. If we cannot clarify our feelings after a meltdown, we risk not understanding them, shoving them down because we think they're shameful. By validating our child's emotions, they're able to take that shame out of their physical body, process it, and feel connected to you because you are there to hear them. So your job is to give those feelings a non-judgmental, soft landing pad. Someday, they won't need you for this step. Your work here will have helped them internalize your acceptance and validation, giving them a forever tool of self-compassion to validate their emotions whenever and wherever they need it. Step three, give them a minute and some choices. The more a child's able to practice the first two steps of acceptance and validation, the quicker their recovery time becomes. They begin to identify what's upsetting them, how it makes them feel, and then they start to solve the problem. Doesn't this sound amazing? They will get there. But if this is a new practice, a big change, or an especially difficult obstacle, you may have to offer some options to help your child calm down. Remind them about taking deep breaths, counting, calming down in a quiet space, stretching their body, or having a glass of cool water. Don't reinvent the wheel here. Use whatever routine your child's already familiar with. Offer your suggestions and step back and wait. When we are in meltdown, even the most flexible personalities are hypersensitive to being told what to do. 
If they are demanding justice or pushing for a replacement for whatever was dropped or taken, let them know you want to problem solve with them, but are waiting for them to use a calm down skill first. With older kids, you may let them know you're waiting until they look more physically relaxed so you know their brain is ready to problem solve. Step four is keep yourself calm. I mean, this really could be step one, two, or three as well. But your child was melting down, and I thought you might want some help with that before I reminded you about being calm. Yes, Kirsten, I get it. Self-care and be calm all the time, every episode. In all challenging parenting situations, patience and your own self-compassion are key. Do whatever you can to keep yourself calm. A younger child may copy you as you take deep breaths, massage your hand or arm, or even vigorously wipe down the counter. Even if your teen gives you a dirty look while you practice keeping your calm, know they are observing your mad skills. Whether your child takes the opportunity to join you or not, Remember, our neurons talk to each other. When your brain calms down, it helps your child's brain begin to relax. You'll both be in a better place to move through this process. Step five, we're here. Problem solving time. You made it. So problem solving is incredibly helpful once the first steps have been completed. There are a lot of options here. An important message for your child to absorb is that we always have choices. Depending on your child's age and developmental skill set, you could ask an open-ended question. What do you want to do next? As you're listening, you know immediately whether this would make your child beam with confidence as they explain their plan of action, or if it would overwhelm them and make them feel lost. So listen to your parent gut. A middle ground could be prompting them to recall something that worked in a previously in a previous situation that was similar and give them the space to identify that as a good idea. For younger children or an older child totally out of their league with the problem at hand, give them a couple of clear and simple choices. Once they're engaged, get them to work their executive functioning muscles by thinking about what the pros and cons of each choice will bring. And finally, step six is to decrease vulnerability. And this doesn't necessarily come after the first five steps. It's something that we should be working on at all times. I know here I go with self-care again, you guys, but it is so key. Think about this. If you give me disappointing or unpleasant information, I'm going to handle it so much better if I've slept well, am hydrated, and have eaten. I'll be at my peak performance level if I've been able to get to the gym, had time to meditate, time to connect with someone important to me, and especially if I'm drinking coffee. So this self-care decreases the chance we'll be vulnerable to emotional dysregulation or generally getting thrown off our game. Our kids are no different. Your child will be more capable to learn from this process if they're fueled up and feel connected to you and the things that make them feel confident and fulfilled. In fact, they'll be less likely to melt down in the first place over something small. So, you know, just decreasing vulnerability and thinking about these basic self-care items is a good way to bypass many a meltdown. If it's a change, a larger issue, and they're, they're going to be frustrated and they need practice handling it to gain competence, there'll probably be a few chances for you to practice this with them. So for your sanity and their confidence, pick a time when they're less vulnerable, when their cup is full or at least halfway full, 
to run through these steps, you'll notice a huge difference in their ability to digest your support and it will decrease the frequency you'll need to attend to the same issue. The mental health version of working smart, not hard. I hope this episode has left you feeling equipped to handle your child's next meltdown. It's on its way. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating on iTunes so other parents can find this resource. If you leave a rating and a comment, send a screenshot of it to wideawakeparenting at gmail.com to receive our free balanced screen time checklist. This is a resource we designed for you guys to help you make daily choices around your child or teen's screen time to decrease the negative effects on them and hopefully take away that guilty parent feeling that rises up every time you know we turn a screen on. We will not use your email address for anything other than to send you your free balanced screen time checklist. That is our episode. I'm Dr. Kirsten Kazarian, and until we meet again, be gentle with yourself, courageous on your path, and let's help each other try to stay awake.